Veronica has her sword, Tom has his laser, and I have my mind. And a mind needs books and this podcast as a sword needs a whetstone if it's to keep its edge. Go to patreon.com slash sword and laser to pledge support and sharpen your mind. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and awesome discussions from fans just like you. Oh, indeed we do, and we are so glad to be back doing it again once more. That <laughs> sounds like we've been away for a long time. And we Two haven't. weeks, a fortnight. Uh, don't we? bring up Epic and Apple, though, not this show. Ooh, yeah, that's a different show. That's Daily Tech News Show material <laughs> for sure. That's not in my purview anymore. Uh, but you know what is in my purview? Quick burns. Hmm. The finalists for the inaugural Ignite Awards have been announced. The awards are part of FIACON. Thank you for the pronouncers in the Goodreads. That's very Fia. helpful. Fia. Con, a virtual convention hosted by FIA Literary Magazine. The inaugural event takes place October 17th through the 18th, 2020. Uh, FIACON seeks to center the perspectives and experiences of Black, Indigenous, and people of color, or BIPOC. Uh, among the nominees are Best Novel, The Dragon Republic by R.F. Kuang, Gods of Jade and Shadow by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia, Jade War by Fonda Lee, Storm of Locusts by Rebecca Roanhorse, and Kingdom of Copper by S.A. Chakraborty. So many good ones. I know. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I've read most of those also, which is kind of nice. Read, well, I guess we haven't. We've interviewed S.A. We've interviewed Rebecca. And we've read R.F. Jade and Fonda. War and Re- Dragon Republic. Uh-huh. And I read Kingdom of Copper. Um. Yeah, so I guess maybe just me. Yeah. Uh, Best novella nominees are The Deep, River Solomon, David Diggs, William Hudson, and Jonathan Snipes. Uh, The Survival of Molly Southbourne, Tade Thompson. The Gurkha and the Lord of Tuesday, Saad Z. Hossein. This is How You Lose the Time War, Max Gladstone and Amal El-Matar. And The Haunting of Tramcar 015 by T. Jelly Clark. Nice. Well, that adds a bunch of new books to my to-read list. I've been, uh, I think I got all of the Hugo nominees down finally. Well, I think. yeah, we'll be announcing uh, our <laughs> September read later. Uh, all right, and no we'll, spoilers. Yeah, which will kind of finish the list, I think. Yes. Uh, Mark says that RF Kuang will present the Poppy War Drunk Recap on Instagram Live. That's going to be Saturday, August 29th at 10 p.m. Eastern time. That sounds... Uh, super entertaining. I can't miss that. That's amazing. Yeah. So seven Pacific, 10 Eastern. Got it. Uh, absolutely. You, uh, you skipped past Jan. I did. Uh, you're trying to avoid that oh, question. You know what you? it is? You know what it is? You know what the problem is? It's, it's Google sheets. Yeah. Google sheets because, does that. Cause that last post big... was so long. Mm-hmm. It kind of screwed me up. Uh, do you want me to read it or do you want to read it? No, I you got read it. it. Okay. Uh, Jan asks is Pinocchio fantasy literature. If it is, <laughs> Deadline reports that Guillermo del Toro is doing a stop motion movie musical adaptation of Pinocchio for Netflix set <laughs> during the rise of fascism in Mussolini's Italy. Whoa. Yeah. 
yeah, I think Pinocchio counts as fantasy. Yeah. I, then Guillermo del Toro just took it in a whole other direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, principal photography on Pinocchio began last autumn. Production has continued during the pandemic. Uh, a release date is not yet set, but voice actors include Ewan McGregor, Tilda Swinton, Christoph Waltz, and Kate Blanchett. I'm really interested in seeing that. That's a great voice cast. <laughs> I yeah. will definitely check that out. A stop motion movie musical adaptation. <laughs> About wow. In, set in Mussolini's Italy. Yeah. Yeah. Every sentence makes it more and more interesting. <laughs> more and more interesting. It really does. Jan also says a tour.com and deadline report that Audible is introducing a new subscription option in the U.S. called Audible Plus, which is essentially a, quote, Netflix style subscription, granting unlimited access to Audible's exclusive content, including non-exclusive podcasts and original audiobooks. Existing U.S. subscribers get access to Audible Premium Plus, which gives access to the catalog and allows the purchase of audiobooks with credits as before. One piece of exclusive content available on Audible Plus is John Scalzi's Murder by Other Means, an audio novella narrated by Zachary Quinto and sequel to 2016's Audible exclusive The Dispatcher. Ayan says, personally, I find it quite interesting where this may lead regarding, for example, audio-only audiobooks versus regular audiobooks versus narrative podcasts. Yeah, so this is... Taking something that's already existed on Audible uh, in in parts, uh, sometimes they would give you free access to an Audible exclusive book uh, as part of the the top tier. I think you get access to an audio version of the Wall Street Journal. Mm. Uh, and so this is saying we're just going to take all of our exclusive stuff and make it a Netflix style thing. So for $7.95 a month, you don't have to have get credits. You don't have to buy any audiobooks. You get access to a library. Now that library won't have everything you might want to read, but it'll have a lot of stuff. So if you're like, well, I'm not looking for things in specific and I don't have that much money. So eight, $8 a month is great for me. And I'll just pick what they have available. That plan will be interesting. The thing that I, I thought was great as, as an audible subscriber is I already pay for one credit a month. So I got this already. It just showed up and suddenly I had access to all these books. Uh, I, the podcast didn't interest me as much because I use a different program for that. But all these books started showing up. It's like, oh, you you hmm. can listen to this right now. You can do it. And I, I was like, that's really cool. I didn't even have to pay anything extra for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually glad that Jan brought this up because I saw the email about this and immediately was like, this is too confusing. I don't care to learn more. I'm going to ignore this because it doesn't seem that interesting. But now I'm like, oh, okay. I don't have to. My my assumption was I had to pay more. Right. But I am already a subscriber. So I didn't realize that I was getting this stuff for free now. So now I'm more interested actually in going and, and checking that <laughs> stuff out. So it's kind of funny. I don't have to give you more money. Tell me more. <laughs> tell me. Do tell me more. Um, I get more stuff for free. Thank you. I think this is always really interesting to me as a product person um, and how people ignore or don't read messages about Mm. new features and updates. Um, So that's that is very uh, enlightening in my own behavior as well. And I guarantee you there's more than one person listening right now that still is like, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a second. How does this work again? (laughs) Uh, And and yeah, I mean, you'll, you'll need to dig into it. But if you already subscribe to Audible and you get credits. Mm-hmm. then you get some free stuff. That's kind of the basic thing. If you don't subscribe to Audible and you just want the free stuff, but you don't get to pick what it is, then it'll be $8 a month. Maybe I, I think the stuff. problem is the naming because Audible Plus, which is now like a more. cheaper yeah. tier, a less expensive tier, 
sounds like I have to pay more. Right. But then now my subscription is called Audible Premium Plus, (laughs) which is just what I'm already paying for. Because really, Audible Plus is actually Audible Partial Plus. Kind of depends on where you're coming from. It's like Audible Minus. If you're coming from zero, it's a little bit more than you had before, Uh but not all you could have gotten. And if you're coming from it well, as yeah. existing, then you're right. It's Audible minus for it's us. It's Audible, yeah, if we, exactly. Well, it's not if really, we though, because it's not taking anything away. But, yeah. It is, isn't it? Because no. you don't get the credits. You still get the credits. Okay, If you're an existing subscriber. No, if you're an existing. If you're an existing su- subscriber. And you get credits now, you don't lose your credits. But compared you, to my existing subscription, Audible Plus If you don't have a subscription, this stuff. is less than you could get. If, yeah. Yeah. So it should but be Audible Minus. But it's also minus. more because before the, uh, so see, this is the problem. <laughs> Naming things is hard. Well, you know, I guess what really causes it is that you've got two services. There's the credit service where you can, you know, exchange your credit for any book in the library. And then there's the plus service, which is the unlimited access to all this free stuff. Right. Those are like two. It's like saying, actually, it is a lot like Amazon Prime Video. You have Amazon Prime Video, the stuff you can just get access to, but you can mm-hmm. also oh, buy things. You have to buy things. I ha- actually had to rent something on Amazon mm-hmm. Prime Video the other day. Um, and I was like, why am I paying for this? I don't understand. But I have to. Wa- anyway, this is not an Amazon podcast. I do think maybe we want to call this no. Amazon Minus um, as a potential show <laughs> name. Let's just put that Audible, in the, Audible on minus. the list. Audible minus. Audible yeah. minus. Thank you. All right. I'm going to I'm going to type They're it not a in sponsor. right now. They can't get mad at us anymore. Yeah. I mean, we stopped pursuing it too. <laughs> so let's put a nail in that coffin, I guess. Uh, Jan pointed out that Netflix has released the first trailer for Enola Holmes, <gasps> a movie with Millie Bobby Brown as Enola Holmes, the sister of Sherlock and Mycroft Holmes, Sherlock Holmes played by Henry Cavill. Yeah. That's um interesting. So as many of you in the audience know, and as Tom knows, I'm a big uh, Sherlock Cannon fan. Um, she does not exist. Yeah, this wouldn't have gotten the light up otherwise because it's mystery, not really. Fantasy yeah. Side, but yeah. Um, there is no, in canon, there is no Enola Holmes. And of course, as we know. Oh, okay. And then we know, of course, there was a, an additional sister also in the BBC Sherlock with Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, also not canon. Arguably one of the weakest episodes of the miniseries, um, but, you know, whatever. Also the finale, whatever. Um, but I love Millie Bobby Brown. I love, I love me some Henry Cavill. <laughs> I love him. I am very excited to check this out. Um, so, yeah, I, when is it coming out? Do we, do we know? It's the first trailer. Yeah. Let me go look at the Cord Killers lineup where I actually did write that down. It's coming September 23rd. Oh, so that's soon. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Okay. I'm excited about this one. I'm always excited for more Sherlock in my life. I don't care in what form. And apparently they're just getting more and more handsome. Apparently, my Sherlock options are just becoming better. (laughs) Um, Not that I don't love, not that I'm not a not. This, that was about to turn into a lot of double negatives in that <laughs> sentence I almost said. I am a cumber bitch. I will say that freely. Um, different kind of attractive. 
Um, I'm very much here for Henry Cavill and very much here for him getting to use his English accent as well. I'm a, I'm a little sad for Sam Claflin, who is playing Mycroft Holmes and who was Finnick in The Hunger Games. Why are you sad? <laughs> because no one's mentioning him in any of these stories because it's got Millie Bobby Brown and Henry Cavill. That's true. I didn't even know he was in it. <laughs> I know. Sorry. So I had to give him a, a little tiny shout out. Little this shout looks out. so much fun. Go watch this trailer if you haven't watched it yet. Uh, Millie Bobby Brown just plays like, you know, a ratty uh, Victorian era woman who never learned all the things Victorian era women are supposed to learn like embroidery, but definitely learned to take care of herself and fight. And, uh, I still would rather see a, um, a beekeeper's apprentice adaptation by Laurie R. King, as opposed to inventing more sisters. Um, but that's fine. That's a, conversation for another day spoken like a true canon head well she's not canon either so mary mary russell is also not canon um (laughs) but depends on who cares about canon whatever you know it doesn't matter get it out of here i don't know why i'm being a canon snob don't be don't Uh, canon shame (laughs) (laughs) let's uh let's jump into well hey thanks to yawn by the way first of all for for Heavily representing in the quick burns this week. Uh, oh, but now I, I, I actually oh, oh, I yes. do want to give a real quick uh, nod to Dara, who posted the Jade City TV series story, even though we had it on the last episode. <laughs> but it was good to see Dara back. Yeah, always. Well, love a Dara Dara uh, contribution. Now it is time for Barrier Sword, which is our feedback from the audience. Uh, We got this great email from David who said, Dear Tom and Veronica, thank you for introducing slash having Andrew from alienating the audience on your podcast. I just want to I just want to step back real fast and say I saw the title of this email, which was alienating the audience. And I was like, (laughs) shit, what did I do this time? What did I say? I totally forgot that that was was Heaton's podcast. Yeah. David goes on to say, I've added his sci-fi banter to my list of podcasts and have been enjoying the show ever since, especially the episode about how to make a giant robot. Switching gears a little, PBS's American Masters is doing an episode on Ursula K. Le Guin. It's streaming on PBS.org. She wrote so much, but I always remember Wizard of Earthsea. Best, David. P.S. If you're looking for something light, try Voyage of the Fox Rider by Denise McKiernan. It's an old school question novel about a pixie and crabby wizard going to look for the pixie's husband after she had a nightmare about him written very poetically found it in one of those mystery boxes in a used bookstore Ooh. oh very cool yeah mm-hmm. thank you david uh and then uh tamahome uh tweeted if veronica has a boy i vote for the name bob Oh, Lordy. Well, the, the, the cat's out of the bag. Um, I did announce on Twitter last week, but for those of you who uh, you don't follow along there, if you haven't heard, I am expecting a, a weed little, a wee little swordlet, um, sometime in December. Um, so that's why we haven't been doing the, what are we drinking segment? <laughs> <laughs> I was very curious to see if anyone picked up on that, but it seems no one did, but you know, because we faked them out so many times. In fact, as a sh- as a baby shower present, I want someone to go find all the times that you said, no, I'm not pregnant on the oh, show. Oh, just like in the, in on there this are show? dozens of them, including days when we're like, we didn't really have anything in what are we drinking? And you're like, but it's not cause I'm pregnant. Did we, did I say that a lot? Oh, you've said that at least two or three times. Yeah. 
That's and funny. There are other situations where it's come up and you've said, and I know, I remember you saying that. I, I bet there's at least five or six, if there's not more. Se- probably several from the Texilla days. So I used <laughs> to get like, if I ate a big lunch, because we would record after lunch. <laughs> burrito baby. Are you pregnant? I'd be like, no, I ate a burrito. Leave me alone. <laughs> God. Um, but yeah, very excited. Uh, so that's, I, I'm not going to name him Bob though. Cause that's my stepdad's name and that would be oh, weird. Yeah. Right. Uh, so yeah. But, but I get, uh, what about, uh, Bender? You know, I did, I have been pushing, <laughs> I have been pushing for Gideon, um, actually, mm-hmm. <laughs> cause mm-hmm. it's like unisex and it's right. like, who knows? I haven't announced a sex, so it's, it kind of keeps it ambiguous, but I like names that can go like nicknames and, um, I am having a trouble, trouble thinking of a good nickname. Zippy. I read that like Dion's a nickname, but that's kind of, that's doesn't really work with the Tom is a nickname. Tom is a nickname. Tom, Tom's a really good name. You could name a girl, Tom. I could. <laughs> no, I'm not, I don't even like, I feel icky joking that way. I'm like, <laughs> you should name your baby after me. Don't do that. Just don't do that. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Uh, Cameron says at sword and laser, do we have a September book pick yet? Just finished Elysium and don't want to start something else. This close to a new month. Well, well, yeah, we do. We do. Uh, Cameron, just so you and others know, uh, the first and best way to find out when we have decided on a book pick is on our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash sword and laser. I always post the book briefing. Uh, I shouldn't tell you this, but even if you're <laughs> not a patron, you can see the headline and that will tell you the book. pick. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't even have to, to support us uh, to, oh. to get it. He responded to himself where he said, Woot, seen the Patreon announcement. Perfect timing. Thanks. Ah, very good. Very good. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, if you don't want to go look at the Patreon for whatever reason, uh, uh, Rob is always good at, at taking that announcement and putting it up in Goodreads as, as soon as it's up on Patreon. Perfect. Um, so, yeah, we will we will talk about that. So we're, let's hop into the book of the month discussion. Um, we are going to talk first uh, briefly about the September pick, and then we're going to do a wrap up by uh, of Elysium by Jennifer Marie Brissett. Um, so, Tom, do you want to read your do you want to read your Patreon thing or do you want to just talk about the book? Well, I won't read it, but I'll, I'll pick a few nuggets out of the sure. book briefing. Uh, uh, we are going to read on, on Veronica's pick. 10,000 Doors of January by Alex E. Harrow, uh, because you started reading it and were enjoying it so much when it came time for your pick, you're like, this is the one. Yeah. And it was a nebula. I mean, it was a Hugo nom and we were kind of joking that we were trying to read all the Hugo noms. And so I was like, it, it, it fits a lot of slots right now. So yeah. Um, Alex E. Harrow, the author, was born in 1989 in Kentucky. She lives in Berea, Kentucky, with her husband and two children. Uh, but she got a bachelor's and master's degree in history from the University of Ber- Vermont. Uh, she has been a farm worker, an office worker, an ice cream scooper, and taught African American and African American history, uh, both African history and African American history. Uh, she won the 2019 Hugo Award for her story, A Witch's Guide to Escape, a practical compendium of portal fantasies. And 10,000 Doors of January is her first novel. Uh, finalist for- it's a portal fantasy. Yeah. Actually, so that's yeah. interesting. Uh, finalist for the Locus Award and the 2020 World Fantasy War- Award, as well as Hugo. Uh, best novel set in New England in the early 20th century. The main character is January Scholar. Get it? 
scholar, even though it's spelled S-C-A-L-L-E-R. It's pronounced mm. like she's a scholar. And man, if you want a if you want a story about books and magic and portals, like you said, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, this is this is the one. It's super good. Um, I finished it already. <laughs> I've had a lot of reading time recently. Um, so I, I think folks are really going to enjoy this one. Um, and it makes me want to read more by by uh, Alexi Harrow. So I'm excited to to see people's reactions to this. I feel like it's more of a feel-good story. So I'm hoping... Yes. Our last two books were very weighty. A little weighty. A little weighty. It's been weighty times. Mm-hmm. I think maybe mm-hmm. that's been informing some of our selections. And this book isn't isn't without its weight, but yeah. it's a little more lighthearted. A little, little less... Uh, it's not ex- an experimental novel. It's not deep and dark and, and you know, uh, mm-hmm. full of blood <laughs> like Black Leopard, Red Wolf. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's more of a Victorian adventure novel. And the weightiness comes in issues rather mm-hmm. than interactions, I would say. There are some interactions. Um, there's definitely still, um, and I didn't, I didn't, still didn't intend this. There's still like racial tension in the book as well. Um which which definitely plays a, a big part for for January, right? Because January Scholar is uh, is is got dark skin. We I, I, as, yeah. going into yeah, the book, do you yeah. don't know anything else about her, but you know right. that. Yeah. Yes, she is she is raised in a white household and she has darker colored skin. Um, so the origin of that will will come up later. Um, but let's let's yeah, I'm excited about it. Pick it up on Amazon Library, et cetera, audiobook. Um, I think it's it's out on all the major formats and platforms. Um, so yeah, that that will be our September pick. Now let us wrap up Elysium by Jennifer Marie Brissett. Um, got a couple of good conversations going. I I just wanted to kind of kick things off with Tom, your your overall thoughts, um, impressions. What did you think of this book? Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed this. Um, it, it, it's my kind of book is the mm-hmm. thing. And in fact, we have a, a post that we're going to get to later that encapsulates my feelings even better than I have been able to say them. But, uh, I, I don't mind, uh, kind of messing around with plot and narrative and leaving them to the wayside, mm-hmm. uh, which, which this book does, but I think for good effect, and I I really enjoyed the perspective shifting and the challenge that it gives you as it moves from one story to the other. And you're like, oh, wait, now she's a guy. Oh, wait, now she's a girl. Oh, wait, now she's a father. Oh, wait, now she's a daughter. Uh, you know, it's just it, I really, really liked that. And coming off of the dark, gritty visceralness of Black Leopard, Red Wolf. I found the sort of light technology aspect where the weightiness was in an entirely different part of the story than it was in black leopard, red wolf. Uh, I found, I found that a nice, a nice change of pace. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely agree. I, I didn't feel weighted down by this at all, or, or I don't feel like it added to my existential dread of the current, uh, political and, uh, actual climate, um, going on right now, especially now that California is on fire again. Um, but it was i think i was really wrapped up in the love story aspect of it and i think we'll we'll talk about that more as, as well um in one of our threads but that was what really captivated me i think i immediately got sucked into the the story of these two you know pivotal characters that kind of the whole all of the tales revolve around and they're changing relationships to one another but how it, it really is about 
like lost love and and these connections over time and across time or across space. Uh, and so to me, that was what was most appealing. And then the mystery of the technology element of it and how that kind of came together at the end and answered some questions, but also I think left some questions unanswered and made me more confused in some ways. Um, but <laughs> I was, do you, did, how did you feel about that? Do you feel like it was, it wrapped up succinctly or do you feel like yeah. it left you more confused? That, that's what I have to say about narrative. And I saw a lot of people saying, uh, not that they didn't like the book, but the, you know, being critical of elements of the story that left them confused or they weren't sure what it meant. Uh, and I, my reaction is, yeah, I just didn't pay any attention to that. Like mm-hmm. this isn't a narrative story. And I, I could tell from the beginning, like, okay, I'm I'm not going to get a, like a conclusion. I'm not going to get a what happened. 10,000 Doors of January is going to tell us a story, right? This is not that kind of story. It's it's This is about the experience. Uh, I, I kind of, in my mind, feel the same way about it as I felt about 1Q84. With 1Q84, I felt like I was soaking in it, like a bath. Uh, Elysium, I feel like I'm floating down a river. Uh, so, you know, like, I, I don't, that gets too, way too high concept. I know, but, uh, it's, but it's basically, you know, the idea of like, I don't care where this is going and where it ends up. I'm enjoying the ride. Yeah. I think that was my overall vibe as well. I think I just, I was so taken in by the story and the, the love story that I think the other elements, yeah, I, I thought of them more as vignettes and I think I could have been happy just going on in that trajectory versus kind of coming around. Yes, exactly. Instead of kind of coming around to that, maybe this is actually the storyline, like the real true story. In fact, early on, I thought it wasn't even going to tie in, that it was just going to be all unconnected things with similar characters. And I would have liked that, especially if it was like, these are just stories across space and time and, the tie that binds is just the name and the, and the theme. Um, but anyway, that was, that was my perspective, but I, I still, I super enjoyed it. Um, I also don't think it's about lost love. I, I see a lot hmm. of people saying that to me, it's because mm-hmm. to me, lost love is when the other person doesn't love you anymore. Mm. And this is about love that persists no matter what, even if you're different people. Yeah. Yeah. That's a better way of putting it. Oh, I'm going to have hormone crying now. Great. Oh, sorry. Here we go. Turn on the waterworks. It's okay. Um, Matthew kind of kicked things off in the conversation category, uh, talking about something we've already mentioned, like this being a pretty dark book to read during troubled times. Uh, He said, I I wrapped this book up over a a little over a week ago. I have to say that I enjoyed it quite a bit, but this certainly was not a very uplifting or positive outlook to read in the midst of a pandemic, political turmoil, and elevated unemployment. The whole broader story arc of humanity clearly losing and either dying out or leaving Earth entirely just sort of circles above the stories in this book. And many of the corrupted stories, our two main characters, didn't even have a happy ending. Not trying to make Tom feel bad or anything, but did anyone else just get a bit more of depression during the story from this story? Yeah. I, no, and don't worry, Matthew, that doesn't make me feel bad because uh, because, you know, stories are going to affect different people different ways. And I absolutely see where you're coming from, which is if you need to pick me up, this ain't it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my favorite comment, I think, is from Trike, who said, I didn't, but then I'm not exactly against an apocalypse to cleanse the world. 
All right. That's one perspective for sure. But, yeah, right. but you know, I, I can see where you're coming from. I and then there was a, a bit of a back and forth about like, did was this hopeful? Like, was it actually hopeful? Um, Seth kind of posited that. Um, it depends. I guess it depends on your perspective and and how much you trust the the narrator. Um, do you believe that humanity got off the earth? Do you doesn't believe matter. that they doesn't matter? To I, me I know it doesn't, doesn't matter to me at all. It and, matters and, if you want to feel uplifted or depressed. If you're trying to decide how you want to feel about it. I, I don't I, I, when I say it doesn't matter, I'm saying it doesn't matter to me because mm-hmm. to me, the idea of whether humanity got off the ground or went to the stars or didn't. That's not the point of the story for me. For me, the point of the story is the relationships of these two. And to me, what's not depressing is that they continued through these glitching scenarios to always find each other. And that's uplifting, really. Okay. I think there's room for argument in that. But, you know, I think that's a totally valid. Well, just as I say, our audience opinions are valid. I, too, am saying Tom's opinion is valid. Sure, sure, sure. No, I'm saying that's that's where I go with it. And if Mm -hmm. and and what Matthew's saying is, but if you look at that arc, it is dark (laughs) because we don't know if humanity, you know, got off the planet, really, or if that's a lie. And to me, it's or like, any, yeah, but, did any of these people exist? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, there's so many questions. And I think she, I guess where I come is, I think she left those questions because she wanted to keep you from really seeing, looking too far. She's like, I'm not telling that story. Mm. What do you think the green dot was in the sky? I always thought that it was like a cursor prompt. Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. yeah. I like that. Okay. That's a good, that's a really good answer. Because <laughs> green. It's like a terminal. Like it's a like DOS, a terminal. Like an old DOS cursor. terminal. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Ooh. Okay. I got chills. I, you <laughs> know, I think the reason people get focused on that part of it is because it's a really fascinating aspect of the story that you want to explore more, right? It's a, mm-hmm. it's a cool concept. Yeah. And then uh, to kind of go back into the discussion uh, about, you know, love and, and that being one of the major themes, uh, Ruth says this book is all about love and loss and has quite a few classical references as the authors know it about Hadrian and, and, and Tin and Antonis Antonis. I'm trying, I'm sorry. And Antonis makes clear there's the Vestal Virgins, the name Elysium, even the 12 seem to be vaguely reminiscent of the Olympian gods. Um, one thing that struck me was how common uh, that common thread about the stories of love, but that love takes different forms as the characters' relationships shift. Um, for examples of different kinds of love, using the Greek words, eros, romantic love, um, that's, you know, Vestal Virgin, Adrienne and Soldier, Antoine's Forbidden Trist were the most obvious example of this kind of wild, unstoppable attraction. Um, uh, let's see, Storge or Storga, Storge, mm-hmm. paternal love, Flying Dad, <laughs> Antoine taking care of flying. Adrienne uh, in the post-apocalyptic city was a very moving example. Also the prisoner, Adrienne and the brain-damaged brother. Antoine relationship kind of read like this, despite being a sibling rather than parent relationship. Uh, philia, friendship, not as obvious perhaps. Um, I don't think we ever saw the main two as just friends, but I did like the recurring minor characters, Hector and Helen, uh, Sheila, the nurse, etc., and the sense of companionship companionship and selfless help. Um, and then agape, mm-hmm. like agape, universal love, love for humankind, 
the engineer, Adrian with his drive to create and constantly improve the underground city, the sky, the spaceships, and of course, to preserve the memories. It was a great example of how love for one person, dead wife, Antoinette, can be turned into a more universal love and make someone try to preserve humankind. So she goes on to say this book wasn't super satisfyingly narrative, super, the super satisfying narratively, but I did enjoy the elegaic tone, elegaic tone, uh, and the ideas it explored about love, memory, continuity, etc. What do you all think? Ruth, I think you're my new favorite. Uh, This, this is so spot on in the way I felt about this. Uh, I think you did an even better job at pulling out the different kinds of love and why they're important. And I, uh, for me, C.S. Lewis and the Four Loves was uh, a book that I read in high school that introduced me to these four types uh, of love and was transformative in how I thought about the world. So uh, the fact that you noticed that that was also happening in Elysium, uh, perfect. Uh, really, really, really like this analysis. And and it actually helped crystallize some of the ways I was thinking about it too. Totally agree. That was a lot of thought that she put into that response about stuff I definitely did not know anything about. So that was, uh, I I love being able to learn things like that through our audience. Um, So thank you for for putting the time and effort into that. It was rad. well, that I think wraps up most of our discussion. I, I hope you guys did enjoy the book. I thought it was a, a really different kind of book and different pace from what we've read a lot of in the past. Um, and I'm I'm super happy I read it. Me too. Me too. Uh, I'm glad you all read it along with me. Good pick, Tom. Good Thanks. pick. And for you out there, you are good picks too. You're good eggs, good folks, good patrons. Thank you to so much of, uh, thank you so much to all of you who, who help support our show. Um, if you want to learn more about how you can help, uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. You can also support the show by buying books through our links, find links to the books we talk about and some of our favorites at swordandlaser.com slash picks. Send us an email, feedback at swordandlaser.com. Always looking to hear your discussions over on Twitter at swordandlaser. We're also on Instagram under the same handle. Um, all of our discussions are happening over on goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. And of course, the web address, swordandlaser.com. We will see you next time. Bye. Goodbye. Frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.